Hi everyone, Jeff here with Master Medics. Thanks for checking us out. All the videos you see here on our page are from live classes we hosted in our Facebook community. So if you wanna see these classes live, make sure you click the link either above or below in the description to join. Without further ado, let's get to your lesson. Enjoy. Cool guys, so let's, uh, let's talk about we're, we're, I'm going to be using cocaine as my kind of my base point for the class. Okay. But when I'm talking about cocaine, this would also work for a methamphetamine overdose. Okay. And so the physiology and the patho of, or sorry, the mechanism of action within the pharmacology is exactly the same or very, very similar. And so when we, when we're talking about cocaine, just keep in mind that the same things can be in discussion with, uh, with any sympathomimetic like, uh, like methamphetamines and that kind of stuff. So keep that in mind as well as we're kind of talking through this class, okay? And so we're gonna kind of talk about the pharmacology of what's happening there within the synapse. Then we're gonna start talking about the signs and symptoms that we see with cocaine overdoses, um, the path behind those signs and symptoms and why we're concerned about them. And then we're gonna get into the treatment. And there is a few interesting treatments. Most of it's directed towards using benzos, uh, but there is other treatment as your patients start to get progressed even more, especially if you have those binging patients. So by binging, I mean that they've been on cocaine, you know, two, three, four days, uh, and they're out of calcolamines and stuff like that. That's when they start to get really, really bad, um, and we'll start using other drugs in order to treat them. So those are the kind of things we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, a couple of people have asked if we're going to do withdrawal, and we are not going to touch on withdrawal, withdrawal tonight. So I'm kind of sticking to the theme of toxicity or illicit drugs for the next two, three weeks. And then I'm going to do with withdrawal class after that. So we can talk them as a whole. And uh, so that's kind of how that's happening. So the next two, three weeks is going to be mostly illicit drug overdose uh, classes. And then we'll get in withdrawal class, especially alcohol withdrawal. We're going to do a big class on that. Cause that's going to be a really good one. And we obviously see a lot of those. So that's where we're going to be hitting. Okay. Working in the ER, on in the nursing station. All right, then I'll bring my A game for sure. <laughs> Make sure that I don't say anything crazy. All right, so let's uh, switch over to our screen, or our whiteboard, I should say. All right, on. Okay, so if you have questions, just put them in the in the chat. I have the chat next to me in my uh, uh, on my phone. I will be checking it back and forth as much as I can, but just keep in mind if you have questions, I can see them. I just might not respond to them right away until I'm kind of done my point, and then we'll go back to the questions. Okay, hopefully that's fair, and it just kind of keeps a better flow for the class, so that no one's getting lost on the questions. Okay, so we'll touch on on questions periodically through, but don't worry, I am seeing them, so do ask them as we. Uh, as we go. So, so let's talk about the, let's just write the title up here. So we're talking about cocaine uh, slash sympathos. Mimetics. Okay. And we're talking about, we're going to be talking about specifically the OD, okay, or overdose portion of this is what we're going to be talking about. Okay. So let's talk about the pharmacology first. So when, when someone takes cocaine, so we're all dealing with uh, adrenergic receptors and neurotrans and sympathomimetic neurotransmitters at the synaptic cleft, okay? So let's draw out a synapse here. Okay, I'll just do another color, make it nice and pretty. Okay, 
Okay, so that's your synapse right there, uh, or sorry, your uh, your and neuron ends in your and presynaptic and postsynaptic clefts. Okay, and so what happens essentially with uh, actually I want to get a little bit more room here because we're going to be talking about the actual junction. So a little bit more room to draw. So what we're talking about here is that almost most cocaine and sympathomimetics will cause two things to occur. Either they will cause a direct attachment. Okay, to adrenergic receptors, so a direct attachment to adrenergic receptors okay, on the postsynaptic cleft and create the response, you know, create action potential down, down the neuron. So that's one way that it does that. Okay, so direct action on the, uh, on the receptor itself will cause the action potential and just overstimulate the action potential because that's what we're going to get, is overstimulation of those adrenergic receptors. That's one thing that it does. Second thing that it will do is that it will cause a uh, overstimulation of norepi, okay? Overstimulation of norepi. So what's gonna happen is that we have norepi that gets stimulated, okay? So we have the calcium pumps up here and calcium influxes into the cell, pushes the fesicle with the neurotransmitters inside and the neurotransmitters get released, okay? So that's a natural process for, you know, for neurotransmitters and the neurotransmitters would attach to these same receptors. Okay? We have these same receptors everywhere, okay? These adrenergic receptors. And then these neurotransmitters attach and produce its response. Okay, so that's that's essentially what's going to happen. Now, here's the issue with this: is that what the issue with cocaine and sympathomimetics is not that it's releasing norepi, but the issue is is that it's not allowing reuptake. Okay, and so after a uh, in normal physiological speaking, when a a neurotransmitter attaches to an adrenergic receptor, produces its response, typically it'll detach and it'll be reuptake back into the presynaptic cleft in order to be used again. So it's just basically recycling neurotransmitters. Now, in this particular case with cocaine, it actually blocks, okay? So this is the reuptake that usually happens, okay? Cocaine actually blocks this from occurring, okay? And so when we block reuptake of neurotransmitters, it means we have an increased concentration of neurotransmitters, specifically norepi. And norepi is gonna, is gonna continually stimulate this postsynaptic neuron. And so that's the issue is that if we don't have reuptake, it means that we have an increase, okay, in concentration, okay, increase in concentration. And that's the issue here is that if we have an increase in concentration, it means that these neurotransmitters are going to continually stimulate these receptors and continue to create active potentials over and over and over again. And that's the main issue that we have with pharmacology, okay? So we have the one. Okay, we have one is that the sympathomimetic might bind directly to the adrenergic receptor and overstimulate it. That's one way that it can occur. But the main one that occurs, okay, is that we have blocking, okay, that's blocking of reuptake. Okay, blocking of reuptake of these neurotransmitters, which creates the overstimulation uh, at those cells themselves, okay, at those neurons. Okay, you guys following me so far with that? Any questions so far before I move on to the next point? Give me a thumbs up or a yay, nay in the comments, just so I know that you guys are following me so far as why we're seeing such an overstimulation here. You guys are a little bit behind on that. There might be a delay. Is it good? Okay, awesome. So I always like to lead with the pharmacology so you know what, where everything is coming from. I think that's important. 
So that I'm glad that is out of the way. Okay, so let's talk about the symptoms. So what are some symptoms that we typically see with a cocaine overdose? Kind of given the, the pharmacology that we just saw, what are some symptoms that we can see with cocaine overdoses? Okay, just throw them out here. I'll give you a couple seconds to answer that. What are some symptoms? While you guys are answering that question, what are the symptoms of cocaine overdoses and pathomatic overdose? I'll just let you guys know, members, uh, this class will go up onto the Master Medics membership, and there will be a worksheet available for it as well for submission for continued education, And just so you guys are aware for that. And um, yeah, so that should be available tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning. I'll probably get that up there for you guys. All right, so let's see or the, what we're looking at here for symptoms. So excitability. Okay, for sure. Increased heart rate, definitely. Combativeness, I'm gonna put that with excitability because it kind of has those same near sense of uh, combativeness. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna put paranoia up here as well, which would be up there too. Increased heart rate, let's see what else we got. This dilated pupils, absolutely. Okay, so dilated pupils is an active process. Okay, and so that's why we see with um, uh, with opiate overdoses, we see you know constricted pupils. That's a that's a relaxed process. Okay, it's a relaxed state, and then dilated pupils is an active state, which makes sense with the adrenergic stimulation. So, okay, dilated pupils, tachycardia. We got that hypertension. I'm gonna put that up here with this one. Pupil dilation, yep, aggressive, absolutely. We've got combativeness up there, extreme mood changes, totally, pupils, irritability, seizures. I'm glad I'm Adam, awesome one. Seizures and tremors, which is one we're going to talk about tonight, actually. Body, yeah, changes in body temp, good. So we're getting into the more of the major OD ones that we're concerned about. Dysrhythmias, yep, we can definitely see dysrhythmias. What else can we see kind of going along with the dysrhythmia state? SVT, yep, if they are of ischemic changes, yep, they can have chest pain. Let's go back here, what, what if we can have with some ECG changes? What else can we have? Technipia, totally, I'll write that in a sec, I'm just short of breath. Some, another big one I'm looking for other than um, in ECG changes. Dystonia, hyperthermia, psychosis, totally got all those, good. Profuse sweating, make it hard to take them down. Yeah, they're pretty strong. Delirium tremors, okay. Delirium tremors is more of a withdrawal symptom, but definitely we can see tremors, no question. VTAC, okay, you can see VTAC. That's kind of what I was going on. And what I wanted to really touch on is that we can see a wide QRS. Okay, so you can see a wide, yeah, VTAC. Uh, what I was really touching on is I wanted to mention that we can see a wide QRS. And that's all due to a, a sodium channel blockade that happens with cocaine and hyperkalemia as well. So we can definitely see 
um, YQRS with the uh, with the dysrhythmias kind of idea. And we're going to talk about what we can do to treat that because there are some main treatments that we can do. So all in all, this is kind of what we're looking for as far as treatment goes. Okay, and so these ones are going to be. I'm just going to point them out. So let's change the color. These guys here, this is going to happen with almost every single OD urea. These are just common symptoms that you're going to see with these cocaine, just cocaine ingestion as, as a part, not even just OD, but just cocaine ingestion. And as depending on the patient, we're going to start seeing stuff like this combativeness. Okay. It really depends on the state of the patient at the time, but a lot of time we'll see this really paranoia and aggression come out because they're just panicking and then just, they lose control. And then this is where we'll start to see this combative nature. It makes it very, very difficult and very unsafe for practitioners. If you walk in these situations without backup, it might be, and you're starting to see that you're losing control of this patient. It might be time to just, you know, get out and just come back at a, at a later time. Cause honestly, in these types of situations, they can get very, very agitated and aggressive very quickly. And they're extremely strong. So if you only have yourself and your partner, that's probably not going to be enough to hold them down. Okay. Just so you guys are aware, uh, increased heart rate and hypertension. This is all due to the adrenergic. Okay. Okay. Adrenergic receptor stimulation same with dilated pupils this is all adrenergic seizures and tremors this is also due to your adrenergic receptors and all, a lot of to do with the paranoia and agitation as well and then we have changes od changes od i do not know what i was writing there can someone remind me what I was writing with changes OD, please? Because I have no idea. Um, dysrhythmia, VTAC, and, and SVT. So the, we, we are more commonly going to see YQRS over SVT, especially in later stages, because of the, the sodium channels. Okay, so the we have a sodium channel blockade. sodium channel blockade, blockage. And so that's why we're going to start seeing the YQRS. And we'll talk about this extensively when we talk about the, the action potential here. Okay. And changes OD, changes OD, body temp. Okay. Sorry. Thanks guys. So this is changes in, in body temp. I don't know why I did that. So we'll talk about body temp. And this is the body temperature is between for two reasons. So one is going to be over stimulation of the hypothalamus and also it's going to be the, the tremors that come around. Okay. So the tremors and the agitation, the increased metabolism this is all going to increase your body temperature. So this is going to be a major thing that we're going to talk about as well. Cause this, this can actually get them to the point where they're, they're no longer able to manage themselves as far as, uh, as far as actually, you know, aerobic metabolism itself. And so this is where body temp can be a really big problem because boost metabolism or basically oxygen demand and where we're not going to be able to, you know, bring them oxygen consumption. And so that's going to be a big problem that we're going to have to deal with. And body temp is, is going to be an issue because it can lead to seizures and that type of stuff as well. Chest pain too, because, and we're going to talk about why that happens. Great. Okay. Changes in temp. Thanks. Yeah. I don't know why I, <laughs> I did that. I appreciate it guys. Okay. So that's the, those are the types of symptoms that we're going to see. So let's talk about why uh, or some of the major things that we see here and the concerns in the patho. Yeah, we got, and we, we're seeing a lot of adrenergic receptor stimulation, but we're also seeing some other things too. We're seeing the sodium channel blockade. We're seeing the paranoia and the psychosis. We're seeing a lot of different systems that are coming into play here. And so that makes a pretty complicated patient. I mean, uh, a lot of people think that we just like, yeah, we'll just give them fluids and we'll give them benzos and they'll be fine. Well, 
sometimes that, that might work. But in these cases, there's a lot of patho that's going on that we need to be thinking about. And, you know, just throwing benzos and fluids at them, you know, probably isn't going to be what we need at that point. Okay. And so there's, there's more to it than just those two things. Okay. So let's talk about the patho. And so there's three main things I want to talk about. Okay. In the pathophysiology. Okay. The three main things I want to talk about is the one is the preload issue. Okay. Preload issue. Okay. The second thing I want to talk about is the uh, myocardio. O2 demand. Okay. And the third thing that I want to talk about is cardiac toxicity. We've already talked about what is going on here, but these are the things I want to talk about. We're going to just repeat it so it retains a little bit better. Okay, so let's talk about the preload. So why, we, we have actually a decrease in preload. So why do you think that is? I'm going to start drawing out kind of my answer, but why do you think we have a decrease in preload with a cocaine overdose? Okay, so go ahead and answer that question while I draw this out for you. Yeah, we're going to talk about that widen QRS a little bit later. And it, it is an end stage thing where you got to be super concerned for sure, James. Okay. So why do we have a decrease in preload? Why do you think that happens? Yeah, good, Ron. So um, the main reason that we're gonna have a decrease in preload is the increase in heart rate, okay? So the more tachycardic they get, okay, the more tachycardic, the more increase in heart rate they get, um, the less fill time there is. And so let me explain that. So we have a pause between every single contraction of the heart. And that pause is simply so that we have time to get blood from, you know, the inferior and superior vena cavas, okay, and, and into the, the right atrium, as well as down into the right ventricle. And so we want to keep the blood, the preload at a decent level. So that way we're pushing blood into the, uh, into the, you know, the, the, the pulmonary arteries and the pulmonary veins, because this would also be a, a, an issue on the right, on the left side too, because it needs fill time as well. And so the more the increase in heart rate, the less time there is to fill the heart. Okay. And so that means that we're going to have less and less time to put blood in here. It means that we're going to have less and less preload as the heart rate continues to increase and we have less fill time between contractions. And so that's the, a major concern that we have is that we're going to have this decrease in problem. So what we can do in this particular case is that we can give fluids. A lot of the cases, as long as we don't have any pulmonary edema that's associated with it, but we can usually give some fluids in order to top up this preload before we start treating the, uh, the heart rate itself with our benzos. Okay. So this is a, this is the main issue that we have. And so Casey kind of, or Casey Joe said it quite well is that, it's a kind of a toilet flushing effect. And I know exactly what she's talking about because I use this in my class as well, is that if you're flushing a toilet, the initial flush is, is totally fine. Like you're able to flush, everything goes down, that's great. Uh, but if you try and you know, hit that lever before the flushing is done or before the, the fill of the tank happens, you might get a little bit of a flush, but you're not gonna get the same strength that you need. You might have to wait even longer in order to you know, try and flush whatever tissues left kind of. And that's the same kind of idea is that if you try and contract or you try and hit that lever of the heart before fill has happened, there's just no fluid in there to push around. And that's, that's really what's going on here with the decrease in preloads. Okay. So 
that is the main issue that we have in decreasing preloads, okay? So we can usually treat this with fluids before we start treating with benzos as well, okay? Another thing, okay, so we have the pathway of the myocardio O2 demand, okay? So we have two different sides of this. We have, we have I'm gonna just draw hearts, so we have a heart, so that's myocardial heart, O2 demand. We also have the other side. Okay, we have the other side of this, and that is heart O2 consumption. Okay, heart O2 consumption. That's a heart, I promise. There we go. Uh, so that's, those are the two sides of the coin that we have. When we have an increase in myocardial oxygen demand, okay, because our heart rate's going, we have a lot of stretch and contraction, the adrenergic receptors are firing like crazy, this is increasing oxygen demand quite a bit. So it's just kind of just shooting up and up and up and up and up, okay? However, is that we also have an increase in consumption, okay? So if we have an increase in demand, it means we're also going to, okay, we're gonna need to try and, we're gonna be consuming that auction like crazy, okay? So we have those two sides of the coin. So anytime you have an increase in auction demand, that means we're gonna be consuming more oxygen because we need oxygen in order to produce energy. Okay, so that's, that's a main issue that we have here, is that we have an increase in auction demand, which means that we're gonna have, we're gonna be eating up a lot of the auction that we have. Now, if we already have a decrease in preload, it means that we're gonna have less blood return to the heart, which means that even though we have O2 consumption, we're gonna have less decreased blood return. Okay, that's an issue. Okay. which means that if we have a decrease in blood return, it means that we don't have a whole lot of oxygen to be consumed. And that's an issue with the myocardial oxygen demand is that it, the demand is going to overwhelm the consumption or the overwhelm the actual volume of, of oxygen that can be used. So that's, that's the main issue that we're going to have okay, with oxygen demand. And so this is where we're going to start seeing the ischemic changes in your heart. And when we start, we actually need to be treating more, you know, acute coronary syndrome because now we're kind of going to an ischemic state or an infarcted state because we've, we basically consumed all the oxygen that the heart is getting because of that decrease in blood return from, you know, the preload problem. So that's a main, main, a huge issue. And it also ties into the cardiac toxicity as well. So let's erase this for a second. And so the toxicity is mainly due to the sodium channel blockade, okay? And so let's just create you know, a quick little action potential here. Like that's the graph that we see. And then we have you know, baseline. And so what we have here is that we have you know, typical action potential, okay? We have an influx in sodium, okay, in the synapse. Okay, so this is, if this was the postsynaptic cleft, we'd have an influx, of sodium and that influx of sodium would be here and this causes the action potential okay this initial action potential and then we have that spike okay calcium comes in calcium keeps it plateaued so calcium's job and then to repolarize the cell this is more of the potassium okay to repolarize like this okay so this is kind of and this is sodium i'll put that Okay, sodium's role is to cause the action potential or depolarize the cell. Calcium is to keep it at that plateau state. And then potassium starts to repolarize the cell. This is essentially its roles throughout the entire synapse or the entire action potential. Now, we already talked about we have a sodium blockade. 
here. We have a sodium blockade, which means that we don't have the excess sodium that we need here. Okay, so just kind of going back to the synapse here is that we don't have the sodium. Okay, we don't have the sodium to come and influx into the cell. And if we don't have enough sodium to influx in the cell, we can't make this breaking point. Okay, we need enough sodium in order to shift into the cell in order to hit this, this point, basically this bell that allows for action potential to occur. And so if we kind of just get close to it and we don't quite hit that point of electricity, then action potential won't occur. And that's the problem here is that if we keep blocking sodium, it means we can't increase the concentrations enough that we can hit this threshold to create action potential. And that's where cardiac toxicity comes from is that now we're, this is where we're starting to create that wide QRS, especially when we start getting hyperkalemic and all that kind of stuff that's starting to happen. And it's simply because we're just kneecapping the sodium's ability to create action potential. Okay, so that is your three pathophysiologic pathophysiological states that, uh, that we're concerned about as far as the heart itself. And so is there any questions with that or is there anything you want me to recover to make sure that, I, that you guys got it? Okay, I'm gonna give you a few seconds to ask your questions and get all that out of the way. Make sure that we are, um, make sure that you guys understand the path of what's going on here with the cocaine overdose itself. Okay, so just give me a thumbs up or a, or a heart or a yes in the comments, just make sure you're all good. But if you have questions, feel free to ask them now and we'll cover them before we move on to the, the treatment side of things, as well as the, uh, the yeah, the, basically the acidosis that's occurring. Okay, so go ahead and do that and I'll give you a few seconds and just kind of take a sip here. You guys are good. Um, yes, uh, so to a point, that takes, digoxin is a whole other thing. Um, that can cause this. So it, it causes a sodium channel blockade. In fact, I actually used digoxin today. Let me do a class on digoxin. So it would have a similar effect on the action potential because we are causing that sodium channel blockade. Actually, we're causing more than just a sodium channel blockade. But yeah, great question, Rob. Uh, it is definitely a, um, it's definitely similar in the way that it kind of, it's pathological state with, with uh, digoxin toxicity. But let me do a class on it and explain how that actually happens. Because uh, it doesn't really, it, it, it's, it works similar, but it doesn't quite work similar, if you know what I mean. Oops, come back here. Hey, that perfect sign works too, Adam. <laughs> okay, people are giving me middle fingers and everything. Jeez. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the, the treatment. Yeah, I, you know what? I ran digoxin today, Rob, for the first time in two years. And you just don't see it anymore. We actually had a really, um, a pretty interesting patient a couple days ago. And he was, uh, we couldn't, he was, he was a younger guy. We couldn't figure out what was wrong. And the hospital was struggling. We were just kind of throwing a bunch of inotropes at him. And it turned out that he actually had a, what they think, a blown mitral valve. And that was what's causing all those symptoms. So basically he had some like severe symptoms of CHF and really, really, really sick guy. And it turned out it, the CHF was acute CHF was all due to a potential blown mitral valve, which is pretty interesting. It'd be a good case study to do sometime in the near future. Okay. So let's do treatment.
Okay, so let's talk about our treatment. Okay, so we have three things we need to be doing. Okay, three main things. Okay, first off, we want to cool these guys. Okay, that's the first thing. Okay, we want to cool them is the num number one thing that we want to do. Now, the reason being is that their heat, okay, their heat actually increases metabolism. Okay, and increased metabolism, I'll just equals it. Increased metabolism equals an increase in myocardio. Ah. O2 demand and consumption. And consumption. Okay, so that is the main reason. So we have a heat problem is that it's gonna cause an increased myocardial oxygen demand and consumption. It's also, okay, it's also going to uh, raise the potential, increase the potential of seizures, okay? And we already have a high potential of seizures, especially in late stages of or cocaine overdoses because of the widening QRS, the hyperkalemia, cardiac toxicity, all this kind of stuff is, uh, is all due to uh, is all already increasing the chance probability of seizures. And so we're, we're looking at, you know, one thing that we can control here is, you know, the heat and that will at least decrease the, the chance of having a seizure. So, so that is, uh, that's a cooling, uh, cooling is a big one. So getting fans on them, spray them with water, even get, get some evaporation going and uh, as well as just get ice packs on them, those kind of things. So we're really truly aggressively cooling them to try and decrease the myocardial oxygen demand and consumption and limit the chances of the cellular metabolism switching from aerobic to anaerobic, which is going to, you know, cause some major acidotic problems. Okay. And this is something we can treat quite effectively and uh, which is nice. Okay. And so we want to cool them quite aggressively to just limit the chances of that cellular metabolism switching on us and causing a more acidotic patient. Okay. So that's the first thing we want to do. Okay. Next thing we want to do is if we have a patient that is agitated or parent, like very paranoid and their heart's racing, anything like that. Okay. So if we have a confirmed cocaine overdose or cocaine ingestion, that's causing signs of, of overdose, then we want to give them Versed. Okay. We want to give them Versed. Uh, typically it's going to, you're going to need a decent amount of it. So I'd say I always start low. Uh, I'm always a 2.5 milligram guy and then plus 2.5. Okay. Uh, I've never had a cocaine overdose where I haven't had to give at least five, but I just, I don't like giving Versed in high doses. I like to do it and you would be totally fine to do it most likely, but I like to do it in two and a half. So two and a half, wait two minutes, still problem two and a half. And I'll just, you know, catch up that way. I, I just like to, to low dose guys and then just like, you know, in, um, I just push faster is essentially what I do. I push, I just increase my key times. It's essentially what I do. And so that's, um, the, that's what I do with Versed is I typically do two and a half plus two and a half. And you're going to be looking at five milligrams pretty darn quick. And you're going to look at 10 pretty darn quick as well. Cause it's just gonna, it's going to take a decent amount of time to overwhelm the adrenergic receptors. And so you're probably going to find yourself at 10 milligrams pretty darn quick. My max. Okay. Without, a doctor having a conversation with a doctor is 20 milligrams. Okay, but typically we can push that, especially with these kinds of situations where, you know, we need to control it as best we can. Okay, so that's what we're going to be typically seeing with uh, with Versed. Now, however, 
one thing you want to watch out for too is that if they're having chest pains, okay, if they're having chest pains and you're giving Versed, and say you've given 10 milligrams of Versed, they're having chest pains, their heart rate's still 120, 130, and they're still paranoid, tachnific, they kind of have that ACS look to them. Probably, they probably do have some sort of ischemia or maybe even infarct in their heart. And so this kind of ties in with the ACS protocols that we do, our acute coronary syndrome protocols. And so something I would absolutely do on these guys is make sure you get a 12 lead. Okay, make sure you get a 12 lead ECG. Okay, because if you give 10 milligrams of Versed and they're still having chest pain, they're technipic, they're sweaty, diaphoretic, then we're probably looking at some sort of ischemia or toxicity in the heart. So I would be getting a 12 lead as early as I can. Uh, while I'm giving the Versed, I would like to get a 12 lead. Because if I have chest pain after that, then I gotta start looking down You know, this ACS protocol, maybe doing ASA, potentially nitro if needed, whatever the, whatever the case may be, right? So, um, and, or even giving fluids, those kind of things, right? So those are the kind of things that we need to look at as far as uh, as far as Versed is that it can only go so far and just remember that if they've been doing cocaine for long enough, Versed might treat some of the symptoms that are happening right now, but the heart could already be damaged. And so if they're having chest pains after you give 10 milligrams of Versed, chances are that they have some sort of ischemia. So definitely get a 12 lead and double check to make sure that we don't have even global S&T depression or flip T's and maybe even, you know, maybe even STEMI indicators as well. So keep that stuff in mind. And you're gonna need it for ch double checking a wide QRS as well. So that's another thing to, to be paying attention to. So make sure you get a 12 lead, double check that, okay? Last, next thing I wanna talk about is the wide QRS. Okay, so this is a, a long-term thing, okay? And so by long-term, I mean is that let's say this guy has binged cocaine for quite some time, even a couple days, 12 hours even would be enough. And I'm just getting rid of that guy. And so this is something that we need to be concerned about because if they're getting to this point, then their, their heart is basically their heart's being poisoned at this point. It's, it's essentially a toxicity that we need to reverse quite quickly and protect the heart. And there is something that we can do, which is a benefit, okay? And so... We're gonna call this cardiac toxicity. So there's a lot of pharmacological problems that are happening and physiological issues that are happening. So the, the toxicity that we're talking about here, it's, there's a lot of different things that are happening inside the body in order to create this toxicity. And the toxicity we're talking about is the blockade. Okay, um, blockage of sodium, okay, blockage of sodium. And we talked about how that's, how that's an issue, right? Because if, if we can't create or increase our sodium concentrations, if we can't have sodium influx into the postsynaptic cleft, it means that we have a very hard time hitting the threshold for action potential. So we have a very difficult time creating action potential. And that's why we're gonna start seeing our very wide QRSs. Okay, very wide QRSs. And also we're gonna have a hyperkalemia that's gonna happen as well. Okay, hyperkalemia that's gonna happen as well. And so we have some pretty serious things. We have a hyperkalemia that's gonna cause a wide QRS and then we also have a, uh, a sodium. And so if you think about it, if we go back to this action potential graph, okay, we know that sodium causes action potential. Okay, so that's sodium's role. And we have potassium that basically causes repolarization. So if we just 
think about it for a second here. So if we have a blockage of sodium, so we don't have the ability to create a lot of action potential, as well as we have an increase in serum or blood potassium, which means that we're going to have a hard time bringing potassium back into the cell. And so that means that we're going to have even longer repolarization times and even longer depolarization times. And so we're seeing a significant uh, width widening of this QRS because we have, you know, changes on both sides of this action potential with potassium and sodium. So we have some major problems that we need to deal with here. And so unfortunately, typically when we have a, a hyperkalemia, we would like to give calcium in this case, but we already, like calcium is an inotrope. And so in this particular case, we already have enough inotropes on board, right? So we can't really give calcium to these particular patients. And so what can we give in order to protect the heart in this particular state? What do you think we can do? Just thinking hyperkalemic states, what can we do other than calcium in order to treat hyperkalemia? Yeah, so Andrew, while well, I'm just waiting for people to answer the question. Um, so my thought is this, is the ischemia is due to increased oxygen demand and not a blockage in the coronary artery. You're absolutely correct. So it could be due to coronary spasm. Okay? It could be due to coronary spasm, or it could be just simply due to the fact that we have so much oxygen demand and not enough oxygen supply that's causing the, the global ischemia. D50, not D50, ringers. So ringers actually has a potassium concentration in it. Ventolin. So lots of good uh, good points coming up here. So our mainstay, okay, our main one that we'd use in this particular case is bicarb, and I'll explain why because it actually helps us with the sodium as well. So we could look at um, if you're if you're critical care, we could look at IV Ventolin. But the problem is, is that IV Ventolin has an adrenergic response to the beta-2 receptors. And so we might have to avoid this because of how stimulated they are already. And the neurotransmitters are already used up or stimulated. So we may not be able to use this guy. Uh, we might use insulin. So insulin causes a promotion uh, or promotes potassium influx into the cell. So that might be something that we can look here to protect the hyperkalemia. Um, another thing that we will typically look at, like I said, is, is the bicarb. And the main reason is that the bicarb causes alkalosis. Okay, uh, alkalosis. And so without getting into a very major uh, or very complex discussion about uh, what's happening here, is that this alkalosis, it decreases the bond, okay? And so cocaine, Okay, will basically bond with sodium channels and block them. Okay, and, and it essentially blocks these sodium channels. And so, in, in in an acidotic state, the the connection that they have is much stronger. The bond is the high, the affinity is stronger. Is the best best way to explain this. So the cocaine and and the sodium channels they have a very strong affinity when the more the more the body is acidic. And so by giving bicarb and creating alkalotic state, the theory is, or the idea is, is that we would actually break this bond. Okay, we break the bond from the cocaine to the sodium channels. And, and this would allow for obviously more sodium to be used in order to create action potential. And so that's mainly why we're giving bicarb as, as opposed to use insulin and ventolin, just simply because these guys can create 
more increase in heart rate, which we don't want, right? And same with calcium. Calcium's the same way. Okay. They all can create increase in heart rates. And so in this particular case, the bicarb creates an alkalosis and that alkalosis breaks the bond between cocaine and sodium, allowing for more concentrations of sodium, as well as protecting the, uh, the hyperkalemia as well. Okay. And the acidotic state that's created there. Yeah. And so Alex brings up a great point that I was just talking about is albuterol, uh, but worry about the tacky, same with the calcium gluconate. We're going to see the increase in heart rates and stuff. Another one that came out was mag. That's a great uh, a great idea. I would have to look and look at the pharmacology behind it because the idea with it is that mag is a vasorelaxant and so we could potentially see uh, mag do something. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, if it does. like especially with widening QRSs and stuff like that, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, using mag and those kind of things, that's an interesting one. I like that. I'm going to look that one up. But yeah, so mag sulfate might be an option, but it's not going to help the, the sodium blocks. We probably would still need to use bicarb in combination with it if we wanted to use it for the widening QRS. Um, yeah, so those are the kind of things that we can see. So bicarb is your go-to for your, uh, your widening QRSs. And again, like I said, this is a late stage thing. If they're in this, they're, they're cardiac. We're basically just trying to protect the heart at this particular point and, and break that cocaine from the sodium and hopefully help the, the potassium as well, okay? And that's, those are the main treatments. We have the cooling, we have the Versed, which with the 12 lead ECG to confirm that we don't have to go down our acute coronary syndrome protocol. And then we have the leading into the widening QRS that we could see, and which is the bicarb, okay? And we need to use that bicarb in order to protect the heart and, and hopefully keep them, or break those bonds of the cocaine and hopefully, you know, decrease the widening that we're seeing with the QRS in that particular case, okay? So those are the big things as far as advanced um, treatment that we see with cocaine overdoses. Any questions at that point? Questions, comments, concerns, disagreements? You guys are good, feeling happy? Okay, so that is pretty much the end of my formal discussion about uh, cocaine overdoses. I got this one done a little bit earlier than I, than I thought I was going to. But if you have any questions, I'm more than happy to stay on for a couple seconds here and chat with you guys. So if you have any questions about cocaine uh, or overdoses or even dependency, dependency is, is actually, I guess I can talk about that, but uh, the dependency that that happens with cocaine is usually due to the dopamine rush that occurs okay within the central nervous system okay and so that dopamine just basically causes the same rush that it would with you know sexual activity or you know sugars and those kind of things having that dopamine rush cocaine does the same thing it's, it's it creates a dependency on that dopamine rush that that everyone wants is essentially the issue okay I was on a call. Yeah, told, and you, it will be available in the group and on uh, in the page, Josh. So you can definitely go back and check it out. How does insulin help? Uh, so Bethany, the, the thought process, so it was more the hyperkalemia was the issue. And so with insulin, what can happen with the insulin is that insulin promotes shifting of potassium back into a cell. Okay, and so we have a hyperkalemic state typically with, cardiac, with the cocaine overdoses, late stage cocaine overdoses. So yeah, we can see the potassium. Um, we can see the insulin hopefully shift that potassium. 
insulin D50 can increase Krebs cycles. Yes, uh, but the main concern here is that we would have to be watching out for the, the heart rate, right? And the oxygen consumption with using stuff like insulin and D50. Once you've protected the heart and decreased the heart rate a little bit, decreased consumption, then yeah, you could totally look at using insulin and D50 in order to you know, eat up some of that potassium, no question. Yeah. Uh, does your classes count in the US for continuing education? We're very close. We're submitting our paperwork this week. And so um, we're, we're hoping by the end of the summer that we'll be continue education approved for the US. Being a Canadian company makes it a little bit challenging, uh, but we've, we've, uh, we're, we're getting very close without getting into too much detail. Um, but yeah, we're super, super close. How are the PPs on these patients holding up with so much reverse ed? Will, um, would ketamine be an adequate substitute? No, because ketamine has a catecholamine release. The question is with Nicole is would ketamine be an adequate substitute for the Versed um, if the pressures are a concern? Now, the reason that it probably wouldn't is for two main reasons that we're actually hitting two birds with one stone because we have an increased chances of, uh, of seizures. And so by giving uh, Versed, we're you know, limiting that chance. And typically these pressures are like, they're very, very hypertensive already. Okay. And, and so typically we won't be super concerned about that. And if we need to, we can introduce fluids to them. And so your verse said, you're really kind of your go-to ketamine has a calicolamine release. And there is a lot of talk about whether it causes a significant changes in heart rate and blood pressure. My experience, it does. Um, but with ketamine, it just, it's kind of playing into stimulating adrenergic receptors as opposed to you know suppressing them which we want to do with Bursette. Great question though because uh, it is a, a BP problem we do typically have a hypertensive patient um, even though they're hypertensive they're not getting, getting great perfusion because um, just because they're just pumping way too fast kind of idea so fluids is still probably a good idea for them even if they have a good BP to start with or even hypertensive. Your history taking, if they're in psychotic state, if they're able to answer, find out if they're smuggling. Yeah. So this is a, a thing that you can see with, so Ron's talking about um, smuggling uh, different types of, of cocaine substitutes. And so, yeah, so they can, people do smuggle them in their rectum. And if those bags break or they leak or they drip, whatever the case may be, I don't know how that works. Uh, but if that did occur, I mean, that's very potent cocaine that's now in a very heavily blood supplied area that can soak it up and, and cause some pretty significant changes as well. So it can be very dangerous for them for sure. Okay. Um, in paranoia states where, um, in the paranoia, paranoia states, I wonder, I've seen a couple docs use Haldol, like low doses Haldol, if they're like really paranoid, really, uh, really paranoid and agitated. I've seen, I've seen docs use Haldol in order to try and get these guys a little bit more relaxed uh, before they start doing treatment. So that might be an option if you, if you have the ability to do so. We always get aligned with the drill. Yeah, you know what, I mean, drilling them or using an IO isn't my, my first thing other than cardiac arrest. I'll, I'll go for a drill pretty early on a cardiac arrest. In these particular cases, I'm, I'm probably going to reach for my Haldol faster than, uh, faster than the drill. Cause a drill is not going to be easy to hold this guy down for either. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's, uh, I'll leave you there. And, uh, 
if you guys are, this is the first time you've done a live class. Welcome. I, I really appreciate you guys holding out for the, for the hour. That's, that's awesome. And it's a pretty cool to see you guys here and, and being part of this. Again, we do these all the time. Okay. We do classes like this all the time and, and we do four uh, members only classes as well. So this is a, a very similar looking members only class. This is typically what it would look like. Um, and about an hour long, and then you get a worksheet with it as well as the audio version to watch later and all of our, you know, all of our stuff as well. So we have a library of 700 videos, exam preps for national registry, um, COPR, ACP, um, as well as uh, we're starting to get into, we're doing basically live classes five times a week. <laughs> uh, we have four different instructors that are doing classes. And so we're, we're basically just feeding you all the medical information we can that's really directed at the pre-hospital setting, which is unique, which is what we were really pushing for. So definitely stay around. I really appreciate you guys hanging out and, and asking your questions. Thanks again. And I'm going to be back chatting with you guys on Tuesday night. And uh, yeah, Tuesday night. So Kyle's going to do his anatomy physiology class for the neurological anatomy physiology class will be on Monday night. Kyle's going to do that one. I'm, I'm on Tuesday and Eric is on Thursday. And then Friday, I think I might be back as well. We'll have to look. Anyway, so that is, that is that. So you guys enjoy your night, enjoy your weekend or what's left of it. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Hi again, thank you so much for watching our class. If you love what we do here, and don't forget to give this class a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of our new classes. See you next time.